So if you want it, should we just get into it? Yeah, go for it. Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to Candid's podcast. Our guest today is Chantelle and she'll be sharing a bit about herself and her career journey. So Chantelle, if you could give everyone a brief introduction into you, your background and what you're working on. Absolutely. I'd love you to speak to you today. Um, my name's Chantal and essentially I'm one of the co-founders of a digital healthcare company called Torona. In terms of my background, I've always worked within the healthcare and science space and this has always been my interest even from a young age. And I even went into doing my undergraduate degree in, in genetics as, you know, this was always something which I was fascinated about and wanted to find more out. So uh, I ended up doing my master's in a subject called bioscience enterprise, which sounds a bit funny, but this was a master's at Cambridge focused on business, healthcare and biotechnology. And it was a cool kind of intersection as it was kind of half taught out of the judge business school and half out of the, the biotechnology um, and chemical engineering school there as well. And um, this is also where the bare bones of my company, Serona, and this is where it was, was conceived uh, with a classmate who is also one of the other co-founders of the company. Okay, awesome. Thank you. So when you were forming Serona, how did you guys come up to the idea? How did you meet your co-founder and decide to go into business together? Yeah, absolutely. So we both met uh, during the master's um, course and we both kind of had kind of bad experiences with uh, the public healthcare system when it came to kind of women's health care issues. And at the time, there really wasn't anything really within the space of women's health. Um, a lot of the companies that you see today have only really come about in the last few years. So um, we actually, back then, there was nothing. So we're now kind of put our heads together and thought, what can we do? And our mission was really to focus on this space of kind of product conditions. And yeah, that's kind of where it first came about. I love that. Did you guys meet in a, was it part of a course at first or was it literally through conversations with each other and you guys deciding, let's actually take this further and see where we can take it? Yeah, so initially came out of just one of these random business um, uh, plan idea, things that you do, accelerated things that you go and pitch your idea to. Um, we put our heads together then and we both discussed you know, what really matters to us. And I think that's kind of very important when you're creating any business or thinking about any business idea, you've got to do something that you're passionate about. Um, so uh, it really came from there, but it kind of expanded into a more uh, structured thing as we had to do a, a business plan as part of the course. And um, the business plan was was based on Serena itself. Uh, of course, it's iterated a lot since that very first business mm. plan, but that's where it first came from. That's really cool. I love that. So it started off as just this project and you guys realise like there's actually value here. Um, exactly and you want to take it further I love that you went for it so how did the university support you in this is something you did independently or did you use the lecturers or any resources available to you yeah absolutely so um, the good thing about the course I did was that it was almost taught by experts within the industry so um, you you gained a lot of uh, connections uh, in that space 
really did kind of grow our network so um it, it did kind of help us in the beginning to you know test our thesis test the idea pitching the idea to a few uh, smaller investors um and we did gain you know very, very small amounts of investment at the time just through pitching events uh, etc so that was really the spur of um, support that we had back then but even to this day i still utilize the network that i, I gained there to help us out and you know we, we're still in contact with with many people um from that time even though it was you know Four or five years ago now. That's so good. How how do you think it would have been different then if you hadn't if you didn't have access to that network and you were trying to do it post university and you had sat down um, with your partner and decided that this is something we want to pursue? How different do you think that path would be? Yeah, I, I think that would be uh, a completely different path, but I think I'd probably still kind of end up in the same uh, routes that I, I, I intended to uh, do anyway, because, you know, as I, as I mentioned, that entrepreneurship was always something I was fascinated about, even within final year. So I, I think what I probably would have done would go into one of those typical grad jobs and uh, try to work it out on the side, you know, kind of do events uh, where, where I can. But I think the route would have been definitely different. So I, I am grateful for um, the experience I had there and the network that I, I did build. Okay, amazing. Thank you. Um, the reason that I'm focusing so much on your masters, at least at this point in the conversation, is because there are a lot of people who have that decision to face when they come out of university or even mid-career of do I pursue a master's or do I pursue experience um, and start something else on the side and I just want to explore like the value of a master's versus experience and what you think was a key benefit or one of the advantages and cons of pursuing a master's. Yeah absolutely so I think you know uh every master's is different uh, in the way that it's structured and laid out so you've really kind of, kind of got to do your research in terms of what you're looking for and even you know where past students have gone into and whether that's something you can see yourself doing but um i think you know comparing doing a master's or going into the industry straight from university uh, is, is a big decision as it, it, it can be expensive. Masters are, are not cheap, they're usually a lot more expensive than, mm. you know, kind of undergraduate degrees. Yeah. Um, and you've also got to look at, you know, kind of career progression. Uh, a lot of people, when they first uh, finish university, they don't know what they want to do. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I was interested in so I kind of continued down that path but that may not be the same the same for everyone but kind of postmasters I'd say uh one of the biggest things was uh the name for me you know going to Cambridge uh, does kind of bring some some weight uh <laughs> in club industries uh I'd, rightly or wrongly so I can't necessarily say for me I feel like you know when you look at master's courses uh, they're very similar in terms of structure yeah. so it, it's quite hard to kind of really say whether if i went somewhere else i would have had the same experience or not but uh, cambridge does bring some weight to it and i do think you know if you're wanting to almost specialize into a certain area or learn more about a certain area a master's could be a good way to go but experience is just as valuable i think you know 
when I look at employing people, I personally don't really look at the, the university experience the top, uh, you know, university status every time. But uh, if you were to go into, say, a more corporate job, such as, I don't know, corporate uh, consulting or banking, this may be looked at as more favourable, doing a master's or having that name in your CV. So it really depends on where you want to go in life and next steps, etc. No, that makes sense. Thank you. Because it is that brand identity, isn't it, that each university sort of has. Like, um, I remember we were discussing this where there's courses that you see at big names like LSE and Oxford, Cambridge and all of that. And you look at other Russell Group universities, but they just don't have the same weight to the name. And it's like that's yeah. essentially what you're paying for, especially when you look at the differences in the course prices. It's about that name and it's about access to that network um and like you said it's really helped you with your business um the network that you've built and you're Absolutely. still using at this point yeah i definitely have to agree so it, it has helped me out um, significantly and um i do think it would have been slightly harder if i maybe didn't go to this university or did another course um uh, because uh, Cambridge has quite a big entrepreneurship you know, community and network and startups have come out of the university mm. so there's a lot of support but again it, it kind of goes back to what are you interested in and what are next steps for you because you've got to look at what the university specializes in and, and what they have to offer outside uh, in terms of extracurricular activities and you know, the network they can support you with. Okay, thank you. Um, so you've briefly mentioned about your hiring practices and you're sort of looking for people to join your team. Um, can you give a brief overview about your team like in terms of size, just so people can get an understanding about the scale? Yeah, absolutely. So we're still a relatively small team, but um, there's currently about nine of us in total working in different areas. So we have someone in sales, someone in more general marketing, someone within uh, social media, someone as a designer, we have uh, kind of more clinical support as well, um, and uh, a software engineer, and then of course us as founders. So uh, it really, the is quite a big team at the moment um, in terms of growth and it has grown quite a lot over the last uh, few months since um, COVID-19 and I guess from my uh, perspective it, it's it's now my job is more kind of people management mm. <laughs> rather than um, doing the kind of day-to-day tasks that I used to do um, maybe a few few months ago and um, yeah growing the team has really kind of opened my eyes up in terms of um, creating the culture of the company and ensuring that that's maintained. How have you found that sort of the fluidity of moving across job positions within your company because like you were saying you did start off doing the more administrative bits and um, yeah. sort of having the conversations about marketing where you're trying to learn like Google Analytics and all that stuff but now you have a yeah. designated person to do that. How have you found that demand on you to sort of wear different hats? Yeah, it's definitely a, a shift, but I am kind of grateful that I had that hands-on experience in all these different places because I had no idea about marketing or, as you say, Google Analytics to begin with, but it was kind of a learning experience for me. Um, but now I'm kind of managing people who are doing these different roles. I'm then able to you know, provide support and advice, but it 
it definitely is a shift as you know the majority of my time is now spent in meetings and supporting people um to to reach certain deadlines and milestones so um it it, it was tough to begin with I, I can't lie um but because everyone's different and there's different personalities within the team and yeah. you have to kind of accommodate that as well um, so now you're full-time and you can actually focus on this wholeheartedly but there was a time when you were working a full-time job but also growing the business how did you find that balance or how was that experience for you hard <laughs> so I, I used to work within uh, consulting and um, in the medical device and uh, pharma space and uh, this area is notorious for long hours mm. and of course trying to put a company on the side was uh, very hard so uh, for example my usual working hours were say 8am till can go up to 10, 12, 12 at night. So you pretty much don't have any time in the weekday to uh, commit to, to the startup. But um, for me, it was an important to kind of continue this journey as I was so passionate about, you know, uh, this area. So I, I'd spend a lot of time on weekends uh, working and, you know, still applying for things uh, and growing the business that way. Um, but it, it gets to a point where the business has grown and then there's more demands for you from your job so you have to make the decision uh, what to do whether you throw the towel in and just say you know i'll focus on my corporate career or whether i take a risk and do the startup um for me it was quite an easy decision as i always wanted to do the startup and uh it was always something that i knew i would want to do in life so i, I kind of left my job after just over a year and a half and uh, went full time. Uh, definitely scary, and I've learned a lot along the way. But it, it, I don't think there's any comparison to uh, any job out there. I'm constantly learning. Every day is different. So I am super grateful that I have the opportunity to do this. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing um, and being honest about how difficult it was, sort of balancing those hours and also the hours that the startup needed you to put in to reach this point where you can focus on it full time. Yeah. Um, oh crap, I had a question I wanted to ask you. When you did make that decision then to go full time, were there any moments where you had doubts and you considered going back into the corporate world or throwing the towel in? All the time. Sometimes <laughs> are continual ups and downs like I know there's the portrayal that you know people who do startups can become successful and live the dream and you know yeah that's like very aspirational but the reality is that every day has a lot of ups and downs and it, it did take a toll on us to begin with as I guess we weren't used to that level of um you know constant highs and lows so it, mm. it did take a toll but as time goes on you kind of learn to navigate you know your emotions you know the way the business is going a little bit better so uh now you know we get rejections all, all, all the time and on the, on the plus side we have you know great days when you know we have like you know investments or uh, we hit the next milestone and it's it's just uh part of the life of a startup i think okay thank you <laughs> i asked because i remember we had a conversation where you were experiencing one of those moments and yeah. you were like i've applied for a job i've got an interview and i was just sort of looking at you like what are you talking about what job what interview and you're like it's for an, what was it for it was just um 
it was some random role as well and you were just convinced you were going for it and i'm thinking <laughs> yeah it? it happens sometimes because i i just have started moments of oh my gosh like this is failing and then all of a sudden something comes out of nowhere and then saves the day um it's always part of those highs and lows and even to this day sometimes i'm just like oh my gosh what am i doing because mm. <laughs> there is a, a high level of uncertainty growing uh, a startup um and uh, uh, you know there's different types of you know, businesses in terms of um capital and how they're run uh, so the stress is maybe different depending on you know what type of business you're running you know the, mm. the traditional bootstrap business have products and services uh, which you're selling and there's upfront the funding which you kind of put into the business and then you kind of grow bootstrapped until revenue start coming in but what we're doing is kind of a little bit more uh, based on innovation R&D so it requires a lot of investment upfront in terms of private investors and grants so um, this then has puts pressure on us to hit certain milestones and ensure that you keep growing the business so with funding then because you couldn't go down the bootstrapping route and you had to get and you have to apply for grants and these more formal parts how yeah. did you get access to them was it something you accessed through your network or just through research online to see what's available to you mostly research online mm. uh, it's just about trying your luck really with these things you have to just go for it and be confident in yourself and your business um, and I had no prior experience uh, when it came to uh, fundraising in that sense or speaking to investors or even applying for grants these were all kind of new things for me mm. um, but it was necessary as we are a research driven company and uh, a lot of the funding we do receive goes into R&D. Um, so uh, we currently have investors, uh, private investors, angel investors, VC uh, investors, and grants as well. So that's how we're funded. Mm. But uh, with that, you're then required to kind of hit these milestones uh, to ensure that you can continue raising money to build the company if mm. that makes sense yeah until it becomes profitable and then once it becomes profitable you're then kind of required to either sell the company um uh, to a corporate investor or, or to even go go public through an ipo uh, and uh that that's traditionally how it works and then if the investors think will claw back their money but in terms of raising money it's 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 done in rounds so there's like pre-seed there's seed um a series a b c etc it goes on forever um <laughs> and um pre-seed is typically up to about 250 500 pounds seed is you know one to i don't know three four million this is very dependent on on geography and type of business but mm -hmm. these are just rough figures and then series a b c can be you know, in the tens of millions of pounds um and each time you raise money, you raise just enough to get the business to the next inflection point. Mm. And this is uh, met through different KPIs, uh, such as, I don't know, user acquisition, revenues. And essentially, you raise enough just for the next few years. So there's always this uh, difficulty when it comes to, um, I guess, managing your your expectations and money mm. uh, to ensure that you reach that next step and that 
back to then causes a little bit of worry uh, <laughs> whether you're going to even meet, meet that next stage whether any investors are going to you know buy into your business you know what's in there so that's where it all comes in oh my gosh I need a job and then all of a sudden you go because you managed to get some money so <laughs> sounds like a roller coaster constantly it really is, it really is. <laughs> oh my god so it's for the brave and for yep. the level-headed <laughs> Yeah, I mean, calculated risks, right? You have to be uh, prepared to take risks when they come to start up. <laughs> That's true. So how does the investment then work in terms of ownership then? Because obviously with grants, that is a bit different than if you have like a private investor. So yeah. how does that work? Would you have to give them a part of your company or do they just work in terms of it being a loan and they just expect to receive X back plus interest? Yeah, so it depends on the type of investment you receive. You can go down the traditional route of, you know, giving away equity for X amount of money. And that that's kind of how it's done in terms of like angel investors and some VCs. Um, there's also what's called a convertible loan, which is quite similar. So essentially that's, um, uh, you could raise, I don't know, let's just say £50,000. And then you say, uh, once I reach this point which could be a number of revenue or um you know i raise the next round then that will then convert into equity mm. and if you then don't raise or you don't you know meet the revenue uh, you know requires then um that's then a loan to pay that but usually the terms are quite favorable in terms of the factor founders so um it's very unlikely that you have to pay back these loans most of the time it does convert into equity but one of the things you do have to be careful about is giving away too much equity too soon yes oh my goodness (laughs) yeah not all money is good money and that's definitely something we've learned you know uh, there was a time where um we were at the very final stages of um, negotiations uh, for a deal and um, this was like a, a six-figure number which they wanted to invest in us but the equity they wanted was just ridiculous and we had to turn it down because you know it it just wouldn't have made sense in terms mm. of raising more money in the future because what you don't want to do is end up with very little uh shares or you know percentage of the company left going to the founders and i've seen it happen before where companies just do any money and then they're left with nothing at the end and uh, this actually happened to uh, one of my uh, lecturers so we learned from his mistakes so he pretty much gave away all all of his company and at the end you know the the vcs and the investors were left in millions and he was left with like five pounds oh (laughs) wow that's not what you want to do (laughs) so you really have to protect yourself because obviously they're going to look after their own interests and you have to look after your own so how how do you best protect yourself in that scenario do you have somebody you go to for advice to kind of review these or is that on you the founders to do the research yourselves to better understand what deal you're being offered yeah, so it's both. So it's really down to the founders to understand whether this is a good deal and whether this makes sense for the business at that stage. Mm. Um, but you know, at that time, we did also get advice from a number of people whether this would be um, seen as a negative uh, thing to do, and it came back yes, don't take this deal. Mm, that's so good. <laughs> So uh, we didn't take it in the end, but we're grateful we didn't because we ended up raising, you know, more money, you know, six months later. So it wasn't necessary for us to take take that money in the end. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. Um, when you were saying that, I don't know if you've ever watched 
Silicon Valley. Yeah, I watched the first season. Oh, I would recommend anyone who wants to better understand the VC world、um, and startups. I would recommend you watch that show because they outline these kind of problems really well, and you do see some cases or some characters go through that where they give up so much of their company too early. Or the checkpoints that you have to meet、yep. are too difficult, so essentially、yep. th- you're getting scammed. <laughs> so it's like you have to be really careful about the deal that you're taking, and like you said, not all money is good money.、Um, yeah, exactly. And there's that argument of like you'd rather have a small piece of a big pie, you know?、Um, yeah. And it's like that's not necessarily true. <laughs> no, it's not always true. And I think yes, professional stuff is valuable. You know, you're building something new and exciting, and Yeah, that takes a lot of time and effort,、um, and you know, as I said, you know, money is very <laughs> fluctuating. So you, you know, each month is different in terms of you know pay and salary. So you've got to really protect yourself in terms of you know what percentage of the company you have left、um, and how much you're giving away and whether it's worth the investment, whether you need investment at that time. That's true. That's very true. So, how do you then manage the these different relationships then? Because I assume that what you would want as founders and what investors would want as founders may not always be exactly the same thing in terms of what next steps are. How do you sort of manage expectations and have those difficult conversations? Yeah, I think that's definitely a good point, and it's something we've made mistakes on and have learned along the way. So, you know, we've had.、Uh, Investors、um, kind of pushing us to raise a, a larger amount of money, and I guess we're not ready to do so right now. And the reason they kind of want you to do so is that you know their shares then then increase, like the amount that they、right. put in in the beginning increases every time you you raise the, another round of money. So they want you to raise more money ASAP, and we're like, no, this is not a good time to raise money. So. It, it's, it can be a, a battle, and dealing with、um, investors can be quite difficult. So,、um, definitely be careful about you know who's investing in your company. Make sure that you're on the same page about where the company is going and expect, set those ex- expectations from the start. Really,、mm, no, that's a really good point. Thank you. And have you sort of gotten better at that? Sort of thinking back to your first meeting, your first investor. Your first pitch and where you are now. What are the differences between that, if any, and sort of your mindset and attitude towards it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think just as much as、um, investors kind of scout out and then, you know decide who they want to invest in, I think、um, founders have to be kind of careful about you know what type of company and what VC matches their their kind of internal thesis as well.、Um, so it's important to make sure that you're having conversations with the right、uh, investors at the right time.、Mm. Um, And you know, there's been times where you know people have requested to speak to us, but we don't think it's a good fit internally, so we just don't take that meeting. So、uh, it's just about protecting yourself and the company, and、um, yeah, I just, I just say be confident in you know your own company's、uh, kind of、uh, thesis when it comes to what they want to do in the in the future and the vision for the company and.、Mm. And、uh, ensure that you know anyone you speak to、uh, is kind of aligned with that. And if there is any friction, you've got to kind of work out whether that can be ironed out or whether it, it could just cause 
future uh, friction in, in the future and I know people who have taken an investment and are still you know, dealing with um, quite hard uh, previous investors and it, mm. it's quite a difficult relationship because the only options then are to either buy them out or they they sell their shares and uh, yeah, most of the time people don't really want to sell their shares so <laughs> that's a difficult that's, one that's fair because they, they do believe in the business and they want to exactly. get maximum returns on what exactly. they put in because even with our past investors we've kind of been like we'll buy you out and they're like no <laughs> so it's, yeah well <laughs> since no one's gonna sell you may as well hold on to as much as you've already got at the moment because yeah pretty no one's gonna budge <laughs> pretty much so i guess once they're locked in it's harder to then get them out so be careful mm, <laughs> that's a really good point thank you and considering that you're in healthcare. Um, how are you sort of navigating the red tape essentially? So things around regulation and if you're providing those kind of services, how have you found that process? Quite difficult. So healthcare is uh, highly, highly regulated and there's many different bodies which you need to ensure that you're adhering to. And uh, regulation was, uh, yes, something that I, I was aware of and I knew about the very basics of uh, you know, different types of regulation, but actually going through it, it, it kind of, pushes importance of, of you know ensuring your company is regulated in in, in the right way mm. um an example of which is uh, ensuring that any data you collect is stored securely and you know uh, isn't subject to potential breaches mm. and ensuring that you're then registered with the correct organization which in this case is the ico and if there is a data breach or you don't protect your data in the correct way they can then fine you and this can literally wipe your business oh, out so uh this you know their fines are have been going to be extortionate so literally data management ensuring that you're keeping you know regulated and the policies are all in line is, is like super important <laughs> but then this this then adds on you know time money uh so health tech is an expensive area to go into in comparison to tech which is highly unregulated at the mm. moment and new regulations are coming in but this is why tech businesses can really grow super fast whereas health tech can take a while no that's very understandable um having been in healthcare myself i, I and being there within the regulator itself i definitely understand why yeah. it can take a long time to sort of get through all of it and to yeah. get to a point where you can start being successful as you know compared to tech companies um i wanted to ask you about failure so like if you don't mind sharing like have you experienced oh english have you experienced any moments of failure that you've had to rebound from as part of this journey? Yeah, I, I, I'd say that, you know, uh, there have been failures in terms of, you know, certain uh, bits of research or uh, it, can, it comes in different forms or failure in mm. terms of um, closing a deal with, I don't know, a VC really likes you on the very last stages of and, you know, it just through uh, or pivoting your company slightly so I don't really call them failures I just call them kind of learnings and I learn from every experience mm. and with every medical failure I, I it, it's taught me something and I don't make those same mistakes again and you know I'm able to make just better educated uh, decisions when it comes to the company so yeah I think just as an example we very early on was kind of placed in media as uh, kind of doing 
home testing kits, which still is the case, but that's um, requires a lot of the R and D to create. So we're now kind of publicly positioning ourselves as being um, more within the digital healthcare space or health tech um, to begin with, as that's kind of a quicker, faster route to market, and then we can still work on the R and D in the background. So it may seem as a failure but it's more of a pivoting and yeah. trying to realign yourself to do something uh quicker faster and just uh get the business to where it needs to be no i love that i love that repositioning failure as more of a pivot opportunity a redirection as opposed yeah. to oh no it's the end of the world it's just no learn from it there's actually a faster route to market, opportunity to learn and to get your brand out there to start growth process as opposed to waiting till the R&D process is complete. So I definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, so are there any positives then to being featured in these articles and having your face out there and having the business out there? site um it's for investors uh who have then kind of asked for kind of calls or follow-up calls um it's also um kind of more, more press so once you have kind of one uh, big press um release it always sparks other smaller ones and it has a knock-on effect and i think that's almost what's happened with us so i think we've been quite lucky in that uh, respect but I, I, I'm not even sure how we even got into um, any of these big journals to begin with. I think it, it was mainly because at the time there was a lack of uh, kind of innovative startups within uh, women's healthcare. So um, it really was trying to shed the light on what's being done in the space. And luckily, you know, somebody reached out to us and decided to put our story out there, which, you know, I, I'm so grateful for. Okay, amazing. Thank you. And for times where you don't have investors approaching you, how can you find investors to approach yourself? Yeah, so you can find investment through different means. There's various websites out there which kind of connect all of the investors within a certain region, within certain industries, within certain stages. So it's up to you to kind of find those kind of resources built around which investors would be going to speak to. Um, what I recommend is to make a list of priorities for the investors you want to speak to the most, the ones you love the most, the ones that you think, oh, maybe that could work, and work in reverse order. They work with the ones that you think, um, you think you're, you have a 50-50 chance, let's say, for example, and then go, go through that experience and learn from each investor meeting. So when you do actually reach the one that you want to speak to, you're more prepared, you're ready for the, for the questions, and you can really have Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. I think that'll be really useful for people to who are sort of thinking about their own startups and trying to find sources to fund their endeavors. So thank you for sharing. Let's talk about your successes. I know you may feel a bit embarrassed, but we have to talk about it. (laughs) Tell us about Forbes. Gosh, so, so I, I guess the thing um, about me is that I kind of always struggled with public recognition. Um, I call myself like an extroverted introvert, like these types of events of being featured everywhere, especially when it's me as a person rather than the business. Mm. I always like, oh my gosh, 
No yeah, one look at me. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine just getting down to work and having kind of more internal wins and celebrations. Um, so that was definitely a harder thing for me to overcome. Um, kind of being publicly thrown out there, and uh, I still do need to work on talking about these things. Uh, yeah, I should celebrate these these wins. You definitely it? should. And I'm just going to share quickly. Just going to share quickly. Um, so Chantal and co-founder, they were listed on Forbes, the world's top 20 women in tech 2018 and Europe's top 50 women in tech 2018, which is incredible and is definitely worth celebrating. And I know when it came out, you were trying to hide it and it's like... I really was. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm really bad. I don't think I'm bad. I was featured in, uh, I guess, it was Entrepreneur Magazine or whatever it is on, online um, only about a month or two ago and I don't think I publicly told anyone. No, you did not. I didn't even tell you. So it's one of these things I'm still very much working on and trying to embrace. So I, I don't really have any, any tips for that. I think it's just my personality of just wanting to just get on with the work and not really mm. celebrate these bigger things. But I'm, I'm trying to embrace it. <laughs> In the first steps towards that, send me the link. I will be sharing it and <laughs> using it for the podcast stuff. Like, read this, check it out. She's great. Thank you. I, I'll send you the link. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. Oh, I love sharing stuff like that. It's like amazing. And it's like people yeah. can see that it's not necessarily these random people in these far off lands that can achieve really great things you know um, yeah it's people I mean, that I'm just a normal person. pardon i'm just a normal person you know i'm um, i wouldn't say that i've you know had um you know money um, in terms of like family you know usually when you think of like these people mm. with like stuff you think oh you know families help them out but no it's kind of just being I guess hard work <laughs> and pushing through the struggle talking about sort of that hard work then and what sort of brought you here because you're saying you're just a normal person and but you're achieving really great and really impressive things so I would like to know like what are some of the habits or what are some of the things that you feel have really helped you sort of cultivate the success and really push you forward yeah so i think um one of the things is um i guess becoming a little bit more uh, structured in the way that i work so i i i feel like in my personal life i'm very much a spontaneous person mm -hmm. i don't really like to make plans um i i kind of live day by day <laughs> i don't really like to um prepare for future things i i just kind of just flow through life but mm. working in a, a startup or a business you really do have to kind of be on top of the ball and just ensure that you know timelines are adhered to we're meeting those you know uh, key targets uh, so one of the things that I, I have done is kind of become a little more structured in the way that I work mm. um, so you know creating lists uh, and timelines and making sure that people are accountable for different streams and ensuring that you know that kind of pushes along and this was something I guess quite difficult for me as a spontaneous person to mm. kind of like that do but uh, it definitely has helped me um, within uh, the startup and stuff. 
No, that does make sense. Like organization and staying yeah. on top of it. Those lists, those bullet points and tracking through them. Okay, that's really good. Thank you. So I want to talk about also where this startup has taken you because you've done a bit of traveling because of the uh, English. You've done a bit of traveling because of it and it's taken you to some pretty cool places. Would you mind sharing some of those opportunities and what led you there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the w- ways we have raised money is through uh, startup accelerators. So they usually provide a little bit, little bit of funding, um, a little bit of kind of uh, education, like different cohorts, of, uh, groups of startups come together and um, just really learn how to grow their businesses. So we've gone through uh, quite a few of these and uh, I've been able to kind of spend a lot of time in Sweden uh, in 2019, uh, spent a few months in, in Puerto Rico. Um, I've also in the past spent some time in Germany. Um, this year I was meant to be going to, to Norway for a few months, but of course couldn't go anywhere because mm. of uh, uh, COVID. But you know, it really has taken me across the world and I've met so many great people mm. along the way. So I'm so thankful that you know I've had the opportunity to travel whilst doing what I love. I love that. And I, honestly, I love hearing your stories when you travel. Um, because they do sound like great fun especially now that you are working full-time you get to have a different experience of it than when you were trying to balance it between the two yeah because when uh, I was working uh, I also had to take time off to use all of my holidays to kind of go and do these accelerators in another country somewhere just to kind of help fund the business so I guess for the majority of my time uh, in the corporate world uh, I really didn't have a break so <laughs> I was using all of my holidays to oh work on the <laughs> but that's dedication right and that's the hard work that you're talking about yeah. that you have to make the sacrifices exactly yeah that's really good thank you so throughout the course of all of this have you ever experienced imposter syndrome uh yes i i think for me you know um the kind of imposter syndrome comes in uh two two perspectives um so the first of which is kind of self-imposter syndrome so i guess uh me looking back at my achievements and feeling a sense of i'm not sure how i got here mm. and i couldn't do is this me did i do this <laughs> and looking at other people and trying not to compare but you're still comparing and um I, and it's not something i, I experience too often as I, I kind of like to focus on what i'm doing and um you know, I try to just keep on pushing forward yeah. um, with, with the startup and, you know, reaching these set milestones. But I must admit, it does happen every now and again. Um, and then, as mentioned, the second one is kind of all these outward kind of appraisals, such as like the awards of Warps or being featured in these journals. And um, yeah, as mentioned, this is something I do struggle with. Uh, and I feel like why am I on? this list with all of these other great people that have done amazing things why am i here so um definitely some things that i i, I struggle with there that i don't even have any tips to become that one yet i <laughs> know oh, i can see that but it definitely is worthwhile like you, you deserve to be on these lists i guess it's just sort of accepting that yourself and believing yeah. that but i think you should be on every list but that's just me yeah, I, I, yeah, I need to get over it. So yeah, I think maybe that should be the first step, right? Yeah. <laughs> Accepting and just celebrating. Yeah, 
So like, where do you see yourself in five years then, personally and in terms of the business? Oh gosh, so uh, five years, as I as I said, I'm quite a spontaneous person, mm. uh, so I don't plan five years ahead, <laughs> that's something I've ever done, and if I look back five years ago and thought to myself, where would I be? Mm. Where I am today is nowhere <laughs> close to where I thought I'd be, I've done, you know, so many different things, I'm doing the star stuff, I thought five years ago I'd just be in a corporate job, and that's it. Can <laughs> so, I correct that, sorry? Um, yeah, I go for it. Five years ago, you thought you were going to be doing a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I had that panic moment of, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? I'm going to go for a PhD, which I probably still would have been doing to this day. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Thank God for that redirection. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, because I sort of remember this conversation because. That's when I knew you were just going through a panic moment because you'd yeah. never spoken about it a day in your life. And sort of mid-applying for other things, you just go, I'm going to apply for a PhD. And it was like, time for a break, time for a moment because this makes oh, no sense for who you are at least. Like, that's not... <laughs> what, like, I completely forgot about that. I completely forgot. But yeah, I was coming back to me, you know, library middle of exams stress hit you what am i doing for life i'm gonna do a phd no don't don't panic <laughs> try not to panic in this situation mm. but no like so for for you so still keeping it open and that's sort of like your approach to your personal side is just a bit more flexible a bit more open-ended um, yeah and in terms of the business where do you see that in five years yeah, absolutely. So in five years' time, um, hopefully we would have raised, you know, another one or two rounds of funding and grown the business. Um, I'd love to grow the business to uh, 50 or 100 people, um, you know, making revenues. And really the, the main goal for me and the reason I do it is, um, you know, seeing patients uh, kind of improve their care. Um, so we run this uh, campaign on Instagram with kind of the faces of endometriosis where people tell their stories about you know their experiences with this condition and it takes years for diagnosis the average year for diagnosis for endometriosis is uh, around seven and a half eight years in the uk and uh it, these women are constantly being told you know oh it, it's it's period pain <laughs> you know it's nothing go home mm. it's excruciating pain they go through and for me if i can make a difference to you know these women's lives this would you know, mean the world to me. So in five years, I hope to be achieving that on a global scale. No, that's amazing. Thank you. And I definitely agree that that is a cause that needs attention. Um, so I don't know if you can elaborate a bit on the women's health care market, because my impression is there is very little research and attention in that space. Obviously, it's growing now a bit with sort of these... Um, what it, what's it called? CPD? CBD? CBD infused products, which feels a bit more trendy as opposed to yeah. functional. Yeah, so um, in terms of like, you know, CBD, it does have uh, proven effects in certain areas, but again, the research within CBD is, you know, quite limited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of research going on currently to kind of prove the efficacy of. Um, uh, some of these products but um yeah it's, it's to be seen but i think the women's healthcare market 
has traditionally been saturated with fertility companies or IVF companies. Yeah. Um, that's something we've always seen. Um, but what I, I've now been seeing is the rise of uh, different types of companies, you know, focus on, I don't know, menopause or sexual health or even sex tech uh, companies. So this this has been great to see and only within the last two or three years or so this yeah. really the rise of this um, and I think people are thinking more about you know the users and the patients and making that journey easier mm-hmm. so I think people are kind of integrating different parts of the healthcare journey to make it a more seamless experience for, for patients overall. No that's good and I, I'm really appreciative that that is happening and that we are moving in that direction. Um, yeah. Because you've mentioned sex tech, I just have to quickly <laughs> mention. I don't know if you've heard of this product, but essentially, it's like a video game thing where you insert it, and it's basically for like practicing kegels. And essentially, it would be like Flappy Bird, where you are like contracting. <laughs> and it'll be moving the bird on the screen this may be a very wild like divergence of conversation but it that's what popped into my head when you mentioned that because i saw the advert on twitter and i thought i don't know how to feel about this i love hate it it's functional and it's fun so i don't know yeah, I, I haven't seen that one personally, but um, tech is really growing, and I think there's some really interesting things coming out of that space, and it's important, right? You mm. know, I, I think it's time for a revamp uh, in this industry, especially when it comes to uh, kind of female sex tech. Uh, you know, traditionally a lot of the products on the market have been produced by men, so mm. uh, it's nice to see you know women kind of taking the lead in terms of what we want to see. I love that. How have you found it then for Tirona finding, um, in terms of your research, how have you found the recruiting process, finding people to take part in your studies and things like that? Yeah, so I think the industry is kind of very much ready for change. People are ready to kind of commit to research and for us, recruiting, you know, participants to help us with research or beta beta testing, that's been like super easy people are kind of offering themselves to kind of take part because they want they want to change because the healthcare systems are essentially failing them so um it's not never been a challenge for us what should people expect from serona in the future so yeah so serena is currently uh producing an app to support women with uh, chronic pain and it's to help with improving uh, faster diagnosis and to help with uh, the care pathway um there's a community aspect on there you're going to track symptoms gain insights improve your health and speak to experts within the space uh, for us we believe that mental health is just supported as physical health so you know there's access to um therapists and also um um, doctors and physicians within the space to help support women throughout their journey uh, with chronic conditions so check out for that uh, in the next month or two um, we're also uh, looking to uh, produce a, a range of products and services to uh, reduce uh, pain for uh, women uh, in particular chronic pain uh, so people with PCOS or uh, fibromyalgia or fibroids these are typical conditions which have a lot of pain associated and yeah we just want everyone to kind of uh, improve their journey uh, with their with their body and their healthcare. amazing thank you so much and um, what's one piece of advice you wish you'd followed early on in your journey 
Yeah, I think just if you have an idea, don't hesitate to do it. Mm. <laughs> I doubt it because yes, you will learn. There'll be failures, as I mentioned earlier, but you have to take the risk to know what will happen. So, um, you know, there's been times even in the business where I've um, thought about maybe applying for something, applying for funding, and then not really doing it, and then thinking, oh, I wish I did it. Um, so I've taken mm. that learning. It's now been uh, very recently, I applied for something very last minute. I think the deadline closed at, like, I don't know, midnight, and I applied at half past, so <laughs> half an hour later, and then ended up getting the funding. So you never know. Mm. So unless you try, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I, I think, you know, you have to really put yourself out there and just give, give everything a go. Oh, I love that. Thank you. I feel like that's something people no but like you're saying you don't follow it early enough you know you just sort of make up the excuses or whatever else you put in your way but it's actually true okay i i definitely agree with that like do it as early as possible just do it (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh amazing thank you um so if you could if you're english my god if you could recommend three books, podcasts, channels, whatever, for getting started and just beginning that journey, what would those be? Gosh, so uh, I, I used to listen to a lot of podcasts um, when we uh, were in uh, non-COVID times, so we were commuting places and going places and travelling, so uh, one of the podcasts I did listen to was the Startup Podcast, maybe that's the startup thing to be there, and it kind of, kind of gives you a... Uh, what it's really like to start a business um you know just in terms of from the start the the middle which is all fuzzy towards selling the company or you know if they're still running the company you know what they've learned along the way and it has a, a lots of you know good good insights there in terms of what it's like to start a business and how to kind of um, navigate through different scenarios so i really do like that one but you know, a lot of what I learned is actually just through trial and error and Googling. So <laughs> there's not really a science to it. And I think, you know, if you are in a position where you want to learn something, I just think, you know, there's YouTube, there's, you know, different tutorials and Google ones. You can really just become, um, you know, an expert overnight almost just through um, self-learning. Okay, thank you. So I love that sort of. Google. <laughs> That's yeah, the real touring the theme. <laughs> exactly. And it's free, so mm. why not try it? No, that's that's a really good point because even in our conversation last week with Wahida, she relayed the same thing, which was just you have to just go on Google and start your search somewhere. But yeah. the answer is somewhere out there. Someone has written about it. Someone's thought about it before. Just go find it, and you'll be okay. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay, so where can everyone reach you and connect with you online? If you can share your like social media details so people can connect with you and connect with Serena. Yeah, sure. yeah uh, feel free to follow Serena and our progress on uh, Instagram. It's uh, Serena Health. Uh, also on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, all of those good stuff. Also check us out at www.serenahealth.com. Uh, if you want to reach out to me personally or you have like any questions to do with you know, setting up a business or whether you've set up a business and you have any questions, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to connect with you and help you out. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your wealth of knowledge. 
Um, there has been a lot of really valuable information here, especially around sort of funding, the process of being an entrepreneur and oh, before I close, I have another question. I'm sorry, how can I forget this? So what is the best thing about being an entrepreneur and what is the most difficult thing or the worst thing about being an entrepreneur? Oh gosh, so I guess the best thing is, you know, every day is different. I'm constantly learning and I know that if I wasn't a larger corporate, I'd almost be restricted in terms of my learning and my progression. Um, you know, you start from the bottom and you work your way up. And for me, I personally find that a little bit stifling um, in terms of my own personal growth. So I'm grateful to have this opportunity to take you know, my personal growth into my own hands and really just learn as I go and learn what I want and what I need to learn uh, when I need to learn. Amazing. And what do you think is the worst thing about being an entrepreneur? I think, as I as I said, it's the it's not a stable job <laughs> by any means. So uh, it's it's super free, freeing in terms of what you do and the way you conduct yourself. But it's it can come with ups and downs when it comes to the finance side of things. So um, I think that is definitely the most difficult part. But um, if you just kind of believe and push through and have that kind of positive mindset, uh, I think you know. Uh, you definitely work okay thank you so it sounds like it's a double-edged sword the freedom and it being your own efforts is yeah. a positive thing but it's also the negative side of it yeah as well. exactly <laughs> oh no that's great thank you so much um but yeah i'll do a little closing spiel now yay but yay Thank you, Chantelle. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wealth of knowledge. I'll be leaving your details for LinkedIn connections in case people want to ask you any questions relating to the process, as well as Serona's page where people want to connect with the business and learn more about women's health and actually access those services as well. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on. Um, this has been really fun and I hope yeah. it's been good for you too. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's been good. <laughs> <laughs> Do that again. <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> no, I'm gonna leave that as is. That was the most planned, like that was fun I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. <laughs>